All right. This is a real pursuit. My name is Trent. This is Ben. We're two aspiring real estate agents trying to kick ass in real estate, be number one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that is correct. That is this podcast, business, life, and kicking ass, taking names. There's another podcast of people that we work with, and it's titled Everything Life and Real Estate. So when we try to describe this podcast, we have to do everything in our power to not, not describe it as, well, it's a real estate podcast, but we kind of just talk about life in, as a in whole. real estate. Yeah. It's tough to, because then we just What get else do we of, talk about? Well, everything. Right. In real estate. In real estate. Yeah. Everything in real estate. Not life in real yeah. estate. We, we don't really work with them. They're way better than us and way more successful. Yeah. If, but, you, if you don't know, it's... We'll, we'll plug their podcast for our six listeners, uh, Dana Gentry and Linda McKissick. Dana um, started off, I don't know too much about her bio, but she was a real estate agent. Now she's an owner of a lot of Keller Williams offices and um, is very well respected in the Keller Williams community, as well as Linda McKissick, who uh, has an incredible story as well that they were, you know, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars in Their debt. Their story is awesome. Yeah. Great and story. Great story. They $700,000 in debt. And now, I mean... They've got an 86, the, the way it's been described to me, and I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but the way it's been described to me is they have an $86 million a year producing real estate team that they're not a part of, and it's their lowest source of income. What they get to do, the fun part of the job is you manage it. It's it's just like any other CEO, you know, he's not down there on the front lines selling, Nike's not selling sneakers, you know, CEO's not, he's managing to make sure it functions, and that's how they run their team, which is ultimately, if you know anything about this business. That's what you're trying to succeed to. That's a, it's, it's a, I don't know if it is a Keller Williams thing, but there's a seven, seven levels of real estate agents and they're at the seventh level, which essentially just means they are out of the business. The business runs themselves. They get a, They maybe get a PL statement every month and uh, they've got somebody who is, who is really overseeing the day-to-day stuff, yeah, which is not, what you want to get to. Right. And it's not Keller Williams. It's the MREA book. I was like, written by Gary Keller, but nonetheless, there's plenty of people implement that try to implement the same model. Just uh, may not be Keller Williams, but um, but yeah. Anyways, we're trying not to quote unquote copy them. I think we're more loose with it. But they got a great podcast, a ton of listeners because they have a ton of influence. They own our entire region. Yes. Or when, they don't own. They don't own our office. Yeah. They own. They own a few states. Yeah. They don't just. They're not an operating partner. They own the entire region. Yes. That we're in. So if we step on some shoes, we might get squashed like a bug. I don't know. If we ever get if we ever get taken off of air, no, it's it, it's because we we did we had some copyright infringements. Now I will tell you they or are Or because two, Ben with the jail one that's Yeah, they are two of the nicest people in the world. So they're not gonna super support. Hey, maybe super. they'll give us a shout out. Maybe we'll get more than twenty downloads. Whoa. How many downloads are we at now? Twenty eight. This is episode five. This is our fifth episode. I want to share what total twenty eight. Trent bought a new computer for his admin and just told me a story of when he bought the computer, the person he bought it from uh, Spotify was still on. So he's out there downloading on their Spotify, which is oh, I yeah. mean, great. Keep the downloads <laughs> coming, right? A download. It's, it's a salon over here in the Dayton area. I was like, Oh, they must've just, I saw it was like, whatever the salon name was, I won't say it. So I'm like, all right, I'll just listen to our podcast. Make sure I can find it on Spotify, make sure everything's working right. <laughs> they kept kicking me off and playing their music. So I kept putting our podcast on. So I'm like, let's get people up. to listen to it. Yeah. Get, get more views. Shameless. Downloads. Not views. Downloads. So Come on. What's it? 
Trent's on the Trent's managing us. What what's what's the difference? What do I want people to do? We need downloads, subscribes, because then in ratings. Do reviews. I get any listening? Do I get anything for listening? What do you mean? Like do YouTube is views, right? Yeah, I mean we don't get anything for it. It's just how do I get it paid from us? We don't get paid unless we have a lot. <laughs> Space off CPMs, bro. For every thousand, so if we get a thousand monthly downloads. You can run one ad for like fifteen bucks. So one pay us fifteen dollars for every thousand. So fifteen dollars for every thousand. Yeah. So if we have ten thousand, we'd make one hundred fifty bucks off one fifteen second ad. Whoa. If we ever ran one, yeah. If we wanted to. Now is a download a listen or is that a straight Just a up download? download? Straight up download. Like wow. if you if your podcast you have set up automatically downloads. We need good. to get into the clickbait game. Yeah, we need a we need to pay for a bunch of subscribers. Yeah. <laughs> like this guy's a million India. dollar giveaway <laughs> is the title of this podcast. Yes. Million dollar giveaway. Million dollar giveaway. Like and subscribe. And there's an asterisk there that we have to read. We're not actually giving a million dollars away. Yeah. We have to make $10 million before we give away a million dollars. How about that? Well, yeah. yeah. That's 10% of your income. Don't care. You're going to give 10%. It's a side hustle. Don't care. I'll give if you're making ten million dollars, it's I'll, not a side hustle. I will give away a million dollars if we. But the asterisk is, hey, get some people download. You download it. You're gonna you're entered in to win a million dollars. Asterisk. We have to be making ten million dollars. We have to be making Joe Rogan money before you ever he get made that. Four hundred million dollars. He's got a hundred million dollar deal with Spotify. That's what I mean. A hundred million dollars a year. A year. A year to talk to friends. And really smart dudes like Elon yeah. Musk and all these scientists and all this He's crazy stuff. He's making a hundred dollars, hundred million dollars, just to say. I mean, I'm sure he works okay, very it, hard. Let's but. say three hour podcast. He does four a week. What is that? Twelve hours? <laughs> What's his per hour pay breakdown? Like a million dollars an hour? Yeah, it's fucking nuts. And then but good for him, dude. That's awesome. Who would have thought you would make that much money talking on podcasts? But as long as it's legit content, good people listen. Do I people listen to the radio great. anymore? Yeah, I think some people do. I don't. I I spend a lot of time on podcasts. Once Spotify came in, it's like I don't want to listen, and I I'll, you know I'll pay the nine dollars ninety nine cents a month, so I don't have to listen to commercials. I have I don't think I've listened to radio, and I just do I do Apple. Like I to be honest, I know you're an Apple. That. You're an Apple music guy. No, I, I don't buy music. I listen to podcasts. I do a lot of when I work out podcasts, or I go to YouTube and watch some of those videos. What podcast do you listen to? What Ed Milet for sure. He, he's like real inspirational, positive stuff. Ed Milet, Joe Rogan, um, when bigger, bigger pockets. Yeah. A bunch of real estate investing. Yeah. When you're listening to podcasts, what are you listening for? Are you listening for like, like I sometimes I've got, I've got all different ranges. I've got like my, mm-hmm. I, I just need a laugh and I've got the, I need to kick in the ass. Um, I don't have time for laughs, so it's all business, really. You don't. I'm always looking for new angles. You don't smile much. Yeah, when I screw up and do something stupid. So I you don't. Myself. Why would you not smile? I do smile. I got. Well, I got a year why, and a half year old kid who's like a version of me. He's awesome. He's hilarious. Well, why? Why not listen to funny podcasts? Uh, there's funny in this podcast, but I like education. If I, if I do anything, there has to be an ROI on it. So if I'm hanging out with someone, they better be fun. Otherwise, I'm not going to hang out with you. That's fair. If I'm listening to something, do you have fun? It needs to be funny or interesting. Yeah, that's why we're doing podcasts. I, I can, appreciate. I, that. I can shit all over Here's you. It's good. Boom. We just nice. knuckled. But, that's um, cool. I like to keep it educational. ROI. I'm like very driven. Right? It's just like go, go, go. So if I want to do something, 
it's going to be a return on investment for me, whether it's I'm putting my time into it. So if it's listening to someone talk now, Joe Rogan is like my, like, okay, I don't need to know anything about quantum theorics. That doesn't do anything for my business or life, but just interesting stuff. I love knowing random dumb facts I have that do not improve your life at all. Besides my wife going like, how do you know that? I'm like, I don't know, listen to something way when I was five and I don't know. I just know it. Yeah. But that that's like my whatever. And my life's good because I like the stories you hear people talking about, you know, they lost things or and how they came back or like struggles like drug addictions. You see, he talks to MLB players all the time. Don't you find that crazy? Awesome. I, I, I love those stories. A, a story that I love and, you know, we may get somebody on the podcast that, uh, that Trent knows that has a similar story, but it always blows me away when you have these hundred these guys who made a hundred million dollars in the blink of an eye lost everything but guess what in five years they've got another hundred million dollars it's like it's not that hard it's like once you it's like anything else once you do it like yeah it's the four minute mile took forever for someone to do it they thought it was impossible everyone tried no one could do it but once the one guy did it everybody could everyone could do it but no one remembered the guy that did the second time no it's the first guy they did a whole movie on him how he like time trialed it he was just like a he's a real smart guy over there in england oxford but he just started like, okay, I'll have pacers. They paced me there, and he did it. And the one guy who tried to do it forever broke it by like three more minutes. Like it wasn't just like 359, like 58, like the guy in the UK did. It was like a 356. So substantially broke the four-minute record at that time. Now, you got kids in high school running freaking four-minute miles, man. That's, that that limiting, that's the limiting belief, and I think yeah. that is. It's like when you're the first person to do it, you just open the door, the floodgates for everyone else to do it, which is awesome. Is it is it is it a loser mentality? Because I, I struggle with that sometimes, where it's like, no way I can do that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You you look at uh, what is his name, Lance Loken. I think he's got like ten percent market share, and maybe that's a bit of two thousand plus units. Yeah, he's doing two thousand plus units in one area. I pulled up our I pulled up our MLS, and to do do you know what ten percent market share in our MLS is? Probably forty five hundred units. Six hundred fifty million. How many units? I did 600, volume. 650 million 650 volume. million volume. And that guy's, and I look at that, I'm like. The number one, just for reference, the number one agent, Dayton does 1%, 1%. Less, than, less than 1%, so they're on 1%, and okay. she's the number one with the big team. Yeah. And to think, I, I look at that, and I'm like, oh, she's the pinnacle. But then you look at these guys who have built systems and models 10%. to 10%. And it's it's proven, but it's like then I get this limiting belief. I'm like, there, fuck off! Like, there's no way right. you can take that much market share. They do, but it, they do it. And they're doing it's it. Possible. And I will say it's that so I will say that Dallas is probably a tougher market than. Well, we'll maybe say it's not Dallas. They got it's Texas, uh, it's Houston area, isn't it? Texas. Whatever. But I mean, Texas, I feel like has a huge like. I mean, yes, but there's another. You can do it. You could you can do, do it. You could sell and help do 2,000 transactions do you, in Dayton, Ohio. 100%. Do you think it's tougher to do real estate in a, so that conversation. Large of, area, small area. Do you, where do you think you're going to struggle more? Man. Miami, Florida. And take, I mean, you're, right. we're both not Miami, Florida no. guys, <laughs> but <laughs> it, no, no, you, you go take a big city or Dayton, Ohio. What do you think is a tougher market to sell in? That's that's like Apple and oranges, dude. Like in a big city, um, there's this Ruben guy up in New York City, dude. He does mailers, but he just mails one condo unit because there's three thousand units in that one area. So you could basically for Dayton, Ohio, you would have to market the whole surrounding area to really do the units. It's yeah. just not dense enough. 
Whereas you go to Miami or say New York City, I'm not saying it's easier. It's just a different approach. It's the fact that you could do, you could target a slot smaller section. Actually, know that one neighborhood that's actually small compared to Dayton, where you have to do the whole surrounding areas. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, to me, I, I, I think I, technically, technically, you maybe be slightly easier because you can be like, okay, there's two thousand homes in this one area I live in. What can I do to maximize that one area? So we're in Dayton. You got to do the whole. Have you ever when they area. I, when they um, if you listen to some like these real estate podcasts and these books and they talk about yeah. being that hyper local agent, it's like I don't know if that works here in Dayton, Ohio, because you're talking hyper local. <laughs> I mean, be your neighborhood specialist and list four homes. Yeah, I mean, you're, I, I, you I'd be, be a Springboro agent or Centerville agent or something like that. But and there are, there are you're, agents, you're right. There are agents who are specific to the neighborhood, and they're they're local. But to be hyper local, you gotta take everything. Yeah. Yeah, you can't say I'm only doing Centerville homes, and someone wants to sell a house um, in Beaver Creek or something. Like it just it doesn't work for our market. You have to be vast. And people are like, "Well, where do you sell at?" Someone's like, "Oh, I only want someone who's in Troy." I'm like, "Okay, do you Which want is, someone who does four units? Or you want someone who does fifty units? Because yeah. I can tell you right now, I can sell your house and pull up the same information they can in five seconds. The difference is what knowledge do I have over them doing 50 units through multiple areas and I could get a better read of the market than they do in the one area. Yeah. I think hyper local, cons. I, I think hyper local works really, really well if you're in a big city and you are the neighborhood expert, right? Where if I'm in, if I'm in Manhattan, I know everything about Manhattan. You need five restaurants. I got yeah. you. But when you're in, when you're in a big city like this, I mean, the, the area that Trent and I sell is from our office is 30 minutes north and 30 minutes south. Yep. And if we don't, we don't make any money. Well, I mean, you can, okay, you can make money. You can make but money. But we can't but get to where we want to get to correct. by saying, I'm only going to sell in Centerville. Right, because only how many houses sell in Centerville? Right. A thousand, so you get... A thousand in Centerville? Uh, what? Six, I have no idea, to be honest with 16, you. 16,000 homes sold in our market last year, Centerville. I would say maybe 700 maybe yeah so if you and you gotta think at least half of those they got a family or friend that there's just you won't get so you, you just won't if get you get 10 percent market share in one you're just selling 70 units if you do 70 in center that's pretty good if you're doing 70 units but still i mean that's but you're not, not going to get that in center like it's just not going to happen it's not because it just won't it, but it's then, not impossible look at us yeah look at us our, in our limiting beliefs yeah, i only say that because everyone and their mom's a real estate agent yes do you well how do you think that how do you think that turns what do you mean? Like, will it change with everything going yeah, on? Do you think or? that we're going to see? Uh, I, I, everybody says what, what NAR said that we're going to see an eighty percent drop in real estate agents. Yeah, because they're all going to die because they're old. <laughs> we had this conversation. Or I don't care. They're not listening to this. I mean, we got people. <laughs> they don't know how to function a phone. They got a flip phone, bro. I had one guy call me up because my directions weren't good enough. So on, when we input a listing, we have to put directions to the listing like it's fucking nineteen eighty. This guy called me up. He's like, "Where's that off of uh, Indian oh Ripple?" God. I'm like, "I've told you my story about." I'm like, "Daryl, Daryl, Daryl, the OGP, nice guy." I'm not dogging. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, that's what we're dealing with. And his order. name's not Daryl. No. Okay. Yeah. The, so. the, every name I say is fake. Yeah. Their initials are <laughs> Ben Bolton. So have I? I've told you my story about the MLS and the the how you directions. get fined all the time because you don't do things. I had, and I don't know who it is. But if you're the agent, you owe me a lot of money. Uh, somebody went in. All of my, it's 2020. Every single listing I had for the longest time said directions, no, GPS or Google Maps. Right. 
Because that makes sense. 2020. Because who looks at the MLS description to find out, okay, I go east on Dorothy Lane, yeah. left on 675. <laughs> so now, I, so they went, whoever this person was, went through every single one of my listings and reported it. And I had to pay the RMLS max fine of $800. One, because Ben ignored. Okay. okay ben I, does not pay attention to MLS fees. So if you're trying to make money, if you're listening to this and you're in, on the date MLS, find Ben because you'll triple your money because he won't he won't pay until his until he can't log on. Correct. <laughs> I, I I've that's always been my that's been my name and it's again, my clients it. are served incredibly. But like when I was getting detentions in high school, it was like, well, I could not go to this detention, and then I'll get another detention. Yeah, and then eventually I'll get a Saturday school, and we'll just knock it all out with in school, in school suspension a month down the road. That's how. Yeah. It's just like paying the fine. But anyways, so I, so some agent went through and, and reported every single one. I ended up having to pay an $800 fine. So now if you look at my listings, it has the directions. I'm taking you through the entire neighborhood. You're going north on 48, make a U-turn, turn left onto Alex Bell, right on, get on the highway, go four exits down, hop off the next exit. I'll get you to the house, but I'm going to take you on a wild ride, buddy. See, this is all I do. I had two directions. Whatever the, I find the closest, say it's on 3rd Street or Johnny Apple Street. I'll say left on Main, right on Johnny Apple. I won't give any other directions before that. So if you're not within like a quarter mile of it, I know exactly where you're at and you're not going to find it. But that's only because like you said, typing directions on there is ridiculous. Just like those old agents, those agents who are like the electronic lock boxes don't work. If it wasn't detriment to my seller, I'll tell them like, well, I guess you can give your buyer to me and I'll show it because you need to download this and get to work because the board what? has it set up this way. So let's do it. What do you think stand that shit. is the most antiquated? Is that the right word? Antiquated. What do you think the, what do you think in real estate and on the business side, the agent side is most right for change? What needs to change? Yes. Agents who do not use a professional photographer. Oh, Dude, I, I wasn't we, even we in my head, on it before. Yes. It's just in this day and age, like, yes, we have nice phones. Now, unless you're an agent who can actually take a solid photo, go for it. I mean, I, I'm not dogging that, but I've seen some dog shit photos from people who I have no idea whether, why people are listening. If I saw my house, listings. if I saw my house by this agent, John Smith, just random name, and I saw his ass in the photo or I saw him in the bathroom mirror taking the photo and you see him in the bathroom mirror, I'm like, how, how do I have that conversation? It just, it's detrimental to our business. And I'm going to say something that really makes people mad is I hate part-time agents too. I don't hate them. I just think it takes away the profession of what we do. I think to do this job right, serve your clients right, you have to be full-time. Like I literally don't have enough time in the day to do my, to do stuff. I'm catching up on things all the time. And I'm like, how do you do that as you're working another job and you just like to do it for fun? It's not a fun job. This job is you're helping someone spend a quarter of a million dollars on an asset that is supposed to appreciate over time for them to make them money and be basically a secure blanket. So when they go to retire and they want to sell it or they want to go buy up a new home, they have equity to do it. This is not just, Oh, Hey, I saw it. And this is just kind of fun to help friends and families. I was like, if I was buying a house and I had someone in my family who was a real estate agent, but they only did part-time because they liked it, enjoyed it. Cause it was fun. I would not use them. This is a business transaction. Yeah. Just like your financial planner. You want a guy who's in the market, understand that or a girl, woman in the market doing the job. And if you're, I, I want to give a shout out to an agent we're working with right now. Um, 
new agent, right? We've all been new in this business and we all had at one point no idea what to do. But we've got these part-time agents who will, they go about it and they they think they already know. They think they've got it all figured out. Yeah, I'm working with an agent right now. He he says, you know, Ben, full disclosure, uh, this is my first transaction. Oh, nice. And, And I say, great. I appreciate you letting me know that. He goes, so I, I, I do have my manager working with me, though. He's a single agent, Ooh, nice. but he's got his manager who wrote the contract, walked him through everything. I mean, he's asking me questions like, and I was like, man, I'm going to get away with this. Yeah. And he's like, he, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, he's asking things like, well, because we had multiple offers and he's like, well, just can you make sure that the seller signs off on our offer? <laughs> I'm like, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Obviously, we report every we we show every offer, but like, it's just a smart thing to. That, just a quick little tip. What he what he's trying to do is some agents won't present all offers, and that's it. And there's no way they really know that unless the seller it, sign off. And I've had people I told them like they're not going to take this offer because they literally told me verbally, and the agent will be like, "Well, can you get their signature?" I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." I show every offer. I show every offer, and I show it quick. And I, pre- and I preference like. I have to show you this offer. I know you said you don't want this offer. Like it's like the exact offer they said, do not show me. I'm like, I got to, because I I have to show you this offer. Otherwise I'm going to lose my license. Yeah. You'll lose your license. The the ones that hurt me the most. And I, I hate it's when you get a backup offer. Yeah. That nets your clients like $10,000 more and you uh, have to show it to them so they can. Yeah. And then your clients the whole time you're like, your clients are looking for every single. Yeah, but I don't. Out. I think that's a great thing because you can be like, okay, inspection period. <laughs> what What is better negotiation when you have nothing to lose? Exactly. And your seller has nothing to lose at that point. Who's got the leverage? And yeah. always find. There's still a risk. There's still risk in accepting that backup offer because you got to start all over again. But I mean, I tell them like, listen, you can say no to everything. And that and that agent, I I'll tell them like, listen, we got a backup offer that's better than yours. Yep. And you, dude, you have full leverage. Everything is on your side. So, okay, walk away with the deal. Buyer doesn't have leverage, especially in this market. You're golden. Like at that point, you're usually are you usually running, set. Are you running into agents who think it's a buyer's market? <laughs> no, I just I run into agents who are like, well, this is what my buyer wants to do. I'm like, I mean, dude, I don't want like it's not the it's not the prettiest house. It needs work. Everyone knows that. I put it in the description. Like, this is a good opportunity for first time home buyer investor. I'm like, I'm not making it. The seller's like, hey, don't. I, she's like, I feel like the last agent made it look and sound like it was more than what it is. So don't do that. I'm like, okay, I'll let them know this is a good opportunity, but it needs work. It has its issues. I get people coming in like way low ball. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I was like, I understand. And these are actually first time home buyers, but it's not happening. I was no. like, you got to give a reasonable offer for even in this market, crappy houses aren't going for pennies on a dollar. All right. So here's, here's a question that I have for you that yeah, I, I, I thought about the other day. I, um, there's a house that came on the market. I, I lost the listing, so I'm a little petty about it. So oh, I'll yeah. preface with that. <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a family friend. Ooh. Yeah. And they came to my baby shower and said, oh, Hey Ben, no. I just want to let you know that, um, Oh, they, they said, we're moving. And I said, Oh, awesome. Like, are you ready to sell your house? And they say, yeah, we signed with so-and-so. And I, I said, you, you said, what? <laughs> Like, oh yeah. my gosh, we forgot that you're a real estate agent. I'm like, you forgot you're at my you're at my wedding, which had if you do, if you weren't at my wedding, which most of you weren't, I put the Bolton Group on everything. Yeah, you did. It <laughs> said sponsored by the yeah, Bolton our, Group. My wedding was sponsored by the Bolton Group. And then you're at our baby shower. So don't tell me you don't know. But either way, 
petty. So I, I, I was bitter about that. I, I'm like, man, I lost out on a $550,000 listing. Ouch. Ouch. I see it come on the market for $750,000. What? They bought this house, built this house. Yeah. In 15 for 460. Okay. No, no improvements since. And they're selling for 750. Now this is a big custom builder. Right. Who built this thing for 460. Right. So you think it's way overpriced? I, it, it, but the houses are selling in that neighborhood for that price, right? And I didn't, oh, no. I didn't even realize. I'm like, how, how in the world can a house almost double in value in four years on the luxury end, and we can say that this is going to sustain? Yeah. How? What is going to happen? Right. So then it starts thinking, then I start thinking, okay, yeah. well, what's going to happen is sure. The, I don't think we're going to run into a foreclosure crisis. I don't think we're going to run into that. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of lender restrictions. Right. So what about the fact when this guy goes to sell and the market slows down and the market, about the new buyer, if this house goes under contract? Well, no, I'm saying these, these people buy the house for seven fifty. Right. Right. They're buying at the absolute top of the market. They're not for the get, time. For, for the, the time. time. They're not going to get foreclosed on. But in seven years, when this market slows down and, and uh, prices adjust back to normal, they're going to have to bring money to closing. Everybody's going to have to bring money to closing. Do no. you not think? No. Nope. You think that house is going to go up to $800,000 in four I, years? I don't know whether it'll go up to all because luxury market's different than the common market. And I pay okay, attention. So then but a three bedroom, two bath brick ranch going for $250,000. People have the. The perception. So you gotta look back in the history of it. In 08, everything dropped hard because lenders were giving ridiculous funds to people who didn't even have a job to buy a house. Because yeah, the government make, the go, make, now the government said everyone should own a house. That's what they said. So that's what the banks were going off <laughs> of. <laughs> they probably got dinged and like stuff came up but they didn't give someone a loan or something. But anyways, so prices are have caught up to where they're supposed to be about a year or two ago. And they're appreciating. Homes always appreciate. That's why the house that only cost fifty thousand dollars to build in nineteen seventy is now worth one hundred thirty thousand dollars. So everything appreciates. Now, are some people paying over the top? Maybe, but if the market drives that with a decrease in new builds, like in April alone, th there's a drop of thirty percent of groundbreaking for new builds. So okay, we're already at a short inventory. There's still a ton of buyers, and there's always more buyers coming on the market because people are getting older, new jobs, whatever it might be. You know, you know, take COVID out here for a second, but COVID caused thirty percent of groundbreaking the stop on new builds. Ohio, the Midwest was affected almost 15%. So not a ton because, no. you know, we don't care, I guess. But <laughs> we're not locked down like California. Northeast well, was the most, and along with uh, out west was the most, like, restrictions and new builds and mid, permits pulled. The so, Midwest never faces it as tough as the coast do. Yeah, because we're farmers, we're resilient. And, 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 our, and in Dayton, Ohio, at least, mm -hmm. all of our business is pretty consistent. I mean, a lot of our work comes from the Air Force Base, which, pray to God, never leaves. But we're... Yeah, that's not leaving. I'm just saying, right. you know, I, I know that contract is renegotiated yeah. every, every but look so at often. It. But you, you know, I think you know this. New York, New York real estate has been going down since 2015. Not up. Mm -hmm. I, didn't, I didn't know that until like a month ago. But they're still building new condos. Every, every, but, every, but a lot of people are not building anymore because the restrictions are ridiculous. There's people who are like almost done with the condo build. And then they come in like, no, 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 no. You can't do this anymore. You have to do this now. And they, the guy's like, I'm basically done. And now I have to go through and rip all this out and redo it. So builders are like, screw this shit. We're leaving. If you want to, you you good, if you want a good podcast on New York real estate, um, brick, uh, behind the bricks. Okay. So really, bricks. yeah, it's okay. It, it's like these big time New York real estate investors. Like us. 
yeah. big time dating investors. Yeah. But they they talk about these things, and I'm like, oh my god, that is another world out there. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's just different. But you just got such a tight market. And with the tight market, limited supply, it's a supply and demand thing. Now, if all of a sudden there is like a hundred thousand homes that got thrown up in Dayton, yeah, things would level off. Appreciation would drop a lot. Went drop all the way to zero. Like they're still predicting appreciation. Interest rates are still staying low. Um, qualifications to get loans are going up, or they've raised since what they were before. But nonetheless, I mean, if it's worth it now, more than likely down the road it'd be worth it. But we talked about this before. A luxury home right now, especially in Ohio, you're just you have to go in it knowing you're eating that cost when you go to sell. Okay, so you're you're agreeing that you are going. In the luxury market, a little more so now. If they, it depends on how long they stay there. There's too many like things we don't necessarily like. No one predicted the pandemic, so how are you going to know that was going to happen? But yes, obviously, a house that's a three-two in Centerville that sold for one hundred and fifty has a better chance of getting up to two hundred thousand than a seven hundred fifty thousand dollars home going up to nine hundred thousand. So when we got in, well, when I got in, a three-two in Centerville sold, and that was two thousand fifteen when I got my license. Right, a three-two was selling for one hundred and sixty in Centerville. Yeah, and five years later, they're easy, they're <laughs> commanding two twenty five will get you multiple offers. Yeah, nice one, nice one that's been redone, pretty good shape. Why? Okay, so here's a question for you: Why are there? And this is just one that I want to throw out, pick your brain. Why are there yeah. no um, first time home buyer builders? It too. <laughs> it uh, why are all builders besides you know the the stick builders? Why are all builders full custom? Luxury builders. Because if that market's no one, so if that market's so bad. The only way you could build a new house that's affordable for a first time home buyer is if it was a tiny home. So ever since like the Katrina or those hurricanes kind of came through, ripped it up, everyone saw plywood two by fours, price yeah. skyrocket, limited supply of materials, supply of actual tradesmen to do the work. Because let's be real, back in our day and age, everyone said go to college, go to college, and don't don't be a plumber. Don't be an HVAC guy. Man, I would be oh zero debt. I would be killing. If I had the main, if I would have had, a, had main mindset I do now, I would have had my own HVAC or plumbing company, whatever. I loved welding. I could have made six figures out of welding school two years in, traveled. You, I would have made $200,000 being a welder. You, you drive through. And that's crazy. You drive through some of these really high end neighborhoods and in the yeah. Dayton area. And every single car parked out front is Mike's roofing, John's Some plumbing, yeah. uh, Sally's electric. And it's those, it's and I ran in every every trade. I'm gonna they're I'm gonna start my own plumbing HVAC company, and all I'm gonna do is be a business manager, be a business guy, hire hire HVAC guys, and just schedule the workout and have an appropriate pricing system. And I I know I I know I can make six figures on the side doing that. I know I could because. Unfortunately, a lot of these guys don't work. I call a plumber. I was literally talking to a friend about this on the phone today. My friend Chris, and he's like, I was like, you call a plumber? He's like, yeah, give me a call in two weeks. I'll see if I'm open then. Two weeks. Two weeks. out. Every single <laughs> Fucking plumber. put me though. on your schedule for weeks, bro. Just tell me you'll be there by this date. They don't do it. They're, it gives the blue collar guys a bad rep because they just don't think business-wise. I was like, I could hire that guy. Say, I'll take care of you. You'll have jobs for the rest of your life. I'll schedule you. You get 40% of the work. I get I get 60% of the profit. I give you the materials, and you go do the job. But I note, just need you to show up and be there and do it right. But note that they're also two weeks out. Right. Every single every single so one. So give me a call in two weeks. Oh, sorry. Yeah, this came up. Can you give me a call again? I'm like, I'm. there's nothing worse. I was telling my friend, I was like, 
when I have to call someone to give them money, like I need you to do a job. Here's the money. No one calls you back. Oh yeah. Oh, I treat, I had tree guys. I'm selling my house and we're supposed to close on Friday. I'm trying to get this tree cut down. I thought, okay, I'll give them a call a week out. I'll find someone. Oh yeah. I'll be out there Friday. Okay. No call back. It's Tuesday. No one called me back for a quote. I called the one guy. He's like, oh yeah. I'll stop there after work. So I haven't heard back from him. I'll, I'll one up you. I, we hired a nuts. We hired a, a plumbing company. Um, again, very reputable. They always come out. They always do great mm-hmm. work. We hired them. Um, they came out and did a, did a work. We closed on the house. I, they said, we'll send you the invoice. I said, okay, no problem. I've hired them <laughs> four more times and still have not gotten this invoice. No invoice. I, I tell Free them work? every time, every time I call Free them work. like, Hey, I still haven't got that invoice for one, two, three main street. And they're like, Oh, okay, we'll get it to you. That is cr- That's money on the table. It's like, man, how, how many of, and, and they've, they've collected on some of the other ones, but it's like, bro, when I get the Alta statement from my buyers and sellers, I make sure my paycheck number looks right. I don't let that stuff go. Oh my gosh. That's the first thing. But going, but going back to your question, um, materials and labor are super expensive in the build. The try and build a 1300 square foot house. I mean, you pay 200 grand for it. Even if they use basic builder grade bullcrap material and a certain builder throws it up in 30 days. It's like, here you go. You can buy it. It comes built on the truck. (laughs) Yeah. It just, it's just not there. And that's, that's a problem problem we're running into. So the only way they can make money is building these, $500,000 $500,000 homes that they charge 600 so they can make some money. And that's why flippers make so much money because they are the, they, they are yeah, the new dude, build for thought. the first time home buyers. I never thought about you like that. You thought about no. that? No. So that's why that's why these flippers are crushing it right now because yep. they there's no first time home buyer new yeah. build that's affordable. So these flippers go in and give you a new home that's under the new build oh, price dude. and that's why they're crushing it right now. So I'm glad they you are, they are the new builders. I want I got to go on a rant about investors. I was listening to podcasts, a rookie investor podcast. And this investor was talking. He's like, yeah, you know, I called the agent. I make sure they can do this, this, and this. And he's just going off. I'm like, okay, let's stop here. I've, I don't work with very many investors. I don't like to. Because an investor expects you to jump through Agreed. hoops, do all this bullshit for them. And then on a chance you might buy a $30,000 house. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck you. I'm not doing that. I mean... This, the guy with this guy on the podcast was saying was absurd. I was like, I would have never done that. You know, I'd tell any more investors that I won't take any less. I'll be like, okay, you find the property. We'll get under contract. And then I'll go through the work and run the comps and stuff. But I'm not going to sit here and spend hours and hours running comps, finding numbers, what the ROI is, the CapEx, all this stuff for you. When I have, I don't know if you're ever going to buy. You've never bought with me before. I don't know what your actual intent is. There's so many people who are quote unquote, want to be investors that I don't have my time. I already go work with a first time home buyer buying a $75,000 house and helping an investor buy a $50,000 house because are you going to sell it with me? Or are you going to keep it as a rental? Or how or, much time yeah. are I got to invest to make almost no money unless you're going to pay me guaranteed $3,000 commission, no matter what, plus an hourly wage, because I ain't doing it. And then there's these rookie investors who want to talk investing strategies. And it's like, man, you got to yep. figure out your own. I can give you ideas and all that stuff all the way. Cause I I'm in it myself, but I'm not going to run around and then do all this crap for you. We we work with it's just not happening. We work with go find some first time go go find some first time agent who has no better idea than there's this one agent. She was going around writing offers for this this investor like low ball offers from California. I'm like I I had a conversation like why are you doing this? I was like how many do you write? She's like I wrote 13 a day. So I was like so you probably spent two or three hours writing these offers and getting them signatures to send them out for a $40,000 house that you may not even get a response to. I mean, when you get some of these offers, it's like yes. my clients are like, don't even acknowledge it. I know. And I, and I tell her, I was like, what? I just had a general conversation. I was like, 
why would you even work with this guy? There's a there's an agent out here who also <laughs> does a lot of uh, flipping. Who for a while, they um they had somebody on their staff that would look for keywords. You know, uh, needs work. Uh, okay. Um, distressed. They would look for keywords and they would write out twenty offers, and we would respond to the offer and they didn't even know what house we were talking uh, about. They were just <laughs> blasting out offers yeah. every day. I mean, it's I, a strategy. It's a, I mean, it's a genius strategy. Right. You throw enough darts at the board, eventually you're going to hit it. But I think that puts... That's a pretty good analogy, and I've never even said that. But when you do as an agent, you just solidified your worth and your value. And but, again, it goes back to all these agents doing it, these part-time agents. We'll circle all the way back to that and saying, you devalue our profession when you say, when you're working with an investor who you don't really know, he wants to write out a bunch of bull crap offers because that's what they heard. That's that's what everyone wants to do. One, because everyone wants to be an investor. You don't really know who a real investor is. Um, and the second thing is like you just devalue yourself. Like, so you're gonna be that agent who's gonna write 20 offers and you're gonna be known. I I know exactly who that agent is. I'm like, if she ever wants to work with me, I'm like, okay, it's probably a low ball offer. And I'll be like, I'll tell my buyer, I'll tell my seller before I even submit it, be like, hey, we got an offer, but this agent usually does this. So that's what we're looking at. And it's I when I when I got in the business, I was showing when I first started, I was showing distressed property after distressed property. I was making $250, $500 commission checks, and that's 3% um, on these houses Yeah, because I needed something. And it taught me a lot. I mean, I learned to write a lot of offers, but eventually you've got to cut ties with that with that investor, and that's hard to do. Uh, and you've got to legitimate... legitimate, legitimate I, you have to make yourself... Um, you could be that guy forever writing those offers if you wanted to. If you want to stick in that business, you can write you can write lowball offers for the rest of your life, <laughs> but you're going to be looking at distressed properties for the rest of your life, and you're kind of somebody's bitch for the rest of your life. Yeah, you are. And if that guy's just buying and holding properties, which is his case, you're good. And to go back, like that guy on the podcast, I'm like, you have no idea. Like that agent who was a fellow investor, he said, so he knew what he was looking for is great. But these people expect all this out of you and you haven't given, it's like doing all the work up front and hoping they buy with you, but they could just be like, ah, no, nah, I'm not, I'm just not ready to buy right now. Or not like he explained an offer where the sellers wanted, they had a cash offer and the seller wanted proof of funds. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. Why would you not do your proof of funds? <laughs> Cause he's saying like you show proof of funds, it can freeze the funds for 30 days. The bank will sometimes, I don't think they do that around here, but I'm like, if I'm that, if I'm the agent that representing him, I'm like, Hey, they, they want proof of funds, which is, Obviously, the same thing as basically pre-approval, just saying, hey, do you have the money? And this guy's like, no, we're good for it. You got to take our word on it. Like Everything this guy said is like the cliche it's, of who I would never want to work with as an investor. It is Don't 20. be a douche. You are not taking anybody's word for anything. Right. <laughs> the fact that he is, did an out-of-state deal. is only a $65,000 house. So I'm like, I still don't understand like how this guy thought. And I was like, is this, if anyone listens to this and thinks that's how they need to act as an investor... I think most agents, nine out of 10 will say, I ah, piss off, dude. I was like, I'm not doing all this for someone I don't even know who may or may not even buy a house who won't even show proof of funds for a home. Yeah. Why would I do all that work for you? Well, I, yeah, I don't. My, I, the point of that story is if you're listening to this, whether you're an agent or want to be an investor, you got, you got to be an investor who's like, yes, you want to find a good agent. You should probably interview multiple agents yes. to make sure they know what areas are good for rent. Um, what they're getting rent wise um, and how the market is over this area. But don't be that douchebag who's like, well, I want you to go look at all these homes for me. Send me photos and videos. 
And don't be the guy who's like, well, I'm not going to show proof of funds because I'm going to ask if you're an investor and you say, I'm going to buy cash. Like, great. How much money you got? Yeah. Let me know what we're working with. Because if you can't send me that, then why would I waste my time and money with you? And that's the part where we kind of get downplayed as agents is you just run around and you don't ever get paid. Yeah. And th- and there's, I like a lot of people, but I don't work for anybody for free. Uh, and I know you've got, um, Trent kind of Trent kind of put something up that he he had ranted on and he thought was a pretty cool point. Um, he's looking for his phone. He had written it down. It's a great rant. I got I got to find it. How do you not have your phone, Trent? Now I got to fill dead space while you're looking for your phone. I'll call you. On the bright side, guys, my phone not dead this podcast. So if you've noticed, wow, Ben's been pretty engaged this whole episode. It's because your boy charged his phone. I'm at. I'm cooking right now with 12%. That's gas, baby. It's 6 o'clock at the end of the day. Trent, if you could find this real quick, I can only... Um, Bro, I'm working on it. You can only feel so much space. You got to talk like What me. do they call that? They call that... Uh, Rambling? No. Okay. It, it, you got it? I'm calling you. Oh, oh damn. It's on that chair. Okay. Found it. Okay, okay. All right. Here we go, Trent. I'm, I'm so, ears. I'm ears on you. Y'all ears? Everyone's going to listen to me for the next five minutes. All right. So... Let me preference this. I kind of got this off of, I like watching those motivation things on YouTube while I work out and stuff. It just gets my brain going, gets me motivated. Um, but the one guy made a pretty good conversation. It's just like a speech. He's saying, you know, every organization on the planet functions on the same three levels. What we do, how we do it, and why we do it, right? So very few people in organizations know, um, they know why they do it. You know, what is your purpose and what is the cause for your purpose? Like, why do you do your, what you do, right? It kind of goes along the lines of Simon Sinek's why book. I think you got to go kind of deep because, you know, why does your company exist? Like, what do you do? What do you do? What are your contrib- What are you contributing and what are you doing for people and why are you different? You know, it's your unique value proposition, basically. Um, essentially, we're talking about unique value propositions, but not bullshit, not just Oh, I like to help people buy homes. What's your value proposition? You know, we want to help someone find their first home. I think they'll really enjoy it. What makes you specifically unique selling real estate when a million other agents are doing it? What is the one thing? I think if you dive down deep, I've been working on this for a very, very long time. I get arguments with coach and other people. Everyone can hire a photographer. Everyone can do marketing. Everyone can do all this stuff. What makes you unique compared to the million other people? and basically 4,000 other real estate agents in the Dayton, Ohio area alone. Like, what do you do? Why do you do it? And what do you bring to the consumer that you do specifically? And not, and not a, and not a bullshit answer of to, not, I yes. love, I love putting my clients in homes. I love, and that's cause that's not, that's disingenuous, right? Is that what you're, I'll, I'll let you go off more. But. No, it's, it is. It's like, okay. When you first get in, like even when I first got in, like, Oh, I like real estate. I like doing a job. I mean, Yes, quote unquote, it's fun helping someone find a house. I like the money I can make in the business. Just to be blunt. There's money involved. I mean, there, there's reasons to like it, but you really got to dig deep. Um, you got to find your re- the why, but not the bullshit Simon Sinek so, so, reason. So then why, and I hate that. So Do you have an answer? Why do you get out of bed? Why do you go through this? Why do you get punched in the face? Why do you do all this stuff for real estate? Is it, it's not for you. We know it's not the money. And, it, right. and at some point it, it, for me, it's, it's, I mean, I, I'm not at the point where I can say, Oh, it's not about the money anymore. It's for the love of the game. 
I mean, I still want to make money, but right. it, it, I could go get another job that could pay me what I make. <laughs> so why do we, yeah. why, what is Be it? A little tough, but you can get there. I mean, for you, what is your, what is your why that you've pinpointed? And it doesn't have to be well-defined, but what is it? So I think really it's creating that business that you're trying to build something for 20 years down the road and you have other people who are like working for you. So first thing, the business extremely hard to know why and not be generic. Um, and once you're in it for a while, you really get a feel for what it is. And if it's just money, that's okay. If you want to do this job just for money, you can do it just for money. But I'll tell you right now, again, I got into it because I thought I could make a lot of money in it. There's easier ways to make a lot of money. Right. There's easier, but I mean, yeah, you could help the same people, you know, I'll buy a house 10 years later, help them sell the house. Uh, but it's more than that. Like you're helping someone, what I call like the next chapter of their life. Uh, Cause I talked about this a week ago when I just went on this rant. It was kind of fun is after a run, but it's like, you're actually helping them fulfill the next chapter in their life. Right. So hopefully a happy one and you're helping, helping them in this chapter of life that might be sad, but good memory. So what I was thinking about when I was kind of like rambling on about all this is okay. It's the next chapter. They just got married. They're buying the first house together. You're helping them create that chapter in their life, a house purchase. It's not cheap. There's a lot of emotions that go into it. Whether it's a $50,000 house or $300,000 house, that's their first home. It doesn't matter. And they're going to start building memories. And then hopefully when they're ready to sell, you do the next chapter. Now it might be sad because maybe they lost their spouse and they're older and they need to downsize and they have all these memories. We've been in those closings where your seller wants to tell the new buyers, the family get together as they've owned it for 20, 30 years. And that's, it's sad, but joyous for them. It and it gives that buyer perspective about, Hey, this isn't just a house. It's a home. And they get to start their new chapter. So uh, to me, house is, like a never-ending book. There's some bad chapters, divorces, deaths, whatever. But there's also good chapters, births, marriages, or you're starting out on your own for the first time, getting away from your family, or you know, you're the first one in your family to own a house. So there's I see it now. I just found this out that, you know, it's multiple chapters. Each person has their own book that's almost never ending. Each house has their own chapter that's almost never ending. So I just found out like you're just helping people with that chapter in life, whether you're closing that chapter, starting a new one or both. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I thought it was pretty, I was like, damn, that was good. That is good. No, that's really good. I was like that. And I got it from listening to that. Yeah. That is, that is something that even, uh, that even the, the most money hungry agent can get behind Cause that's pretty cool. When the way we've we've had those closings where you're, you have these sellers come in and, it's been a great transaction. They love you. They've they're feeling happy with it. And then right. closing, they're they're upset. Right. Yeah. And you're like, is everything okay? And they're like, it's just it's tough to say goodbye. Or that was the house I was raised in. And it's right. like that's kind of a cool thing. And how it, it's it's a it's a chapter of their life that you had a part in. It's pretty neat. Yeah, and I think you know we can definitely relate to it. We're selling our house at the end of the week. First house, me and Amy bought. Hey, mm-hmm. if you, if, have I shared the story about how you sold your house? No. Here's one for you. <laughs> Trent comes home, says, hey, Amy, um, I sold her house today. That's that's the story. Sort of. That's, no, that's the story. They were planning on selling their house. They were going to move. They have a 10-acre a uh, 10 acre house that they were planning on moving into. Right. And But it was it was down the road and maybe a couple of few we're months. We were looking at doing it in the summer. Doing it in the summer. 
um, about a month ago. Right. Trent comes home. He's got a buyer. They couldn't find anything. He says, well, I'll sell you my house. Comes home. Yeah. Hey, Amy, I sold her house. Best real estate agent you can ask for. Sold it before it's even on the market. Sold it before it ever hit the market. Of course, I put it on the market so I could count the units <laughs> in the volume. Yeah, I mean, you double, you double dipped. Yeah, yeah, technically triple. Would you consider that a triple dip? A triple. That's everything, a, by the way, before anyone calls me in, everything's super disclosed. Everyone knew everything. It's all out there. Everybody knows everything. Everybody Did knows Amy everything. have a say in the price? And the buyers are super freaking happy because I was able to sell it to them for a price they could afford, where they wanted, the exact house that they're going to stay in, they said, for the rest of their life. Did, That's awesome. Did Amy get to negotiate the price? Uh, she didn't negotiate the price, but for the amount of work I would have to put into it to get what I wanted to get out of it, overall, we wouldn't edit the same. And this was easier for us. And then easy, my buyers never would be able to buy it. Yeah, we if, you it. if you would have done it, it yeah, would have put it out of their price range. so much time and money. Well, now you're already working on your other house. Yeah, never stop, bro. Trent's a, a, Trent's a farm guy. Got to work. Trent's now Trent's now a ten acre guy. I call I call myself, you know, as a military. I always said I'm more a machine gunist, not a sniper. Right? I'm like a bulldozer. I'm not I'm not a carpenter. I like to do big stuff, but when it comes down to finesse, I'm not the most finesse type of guy. You want to spray the bullets in one direction. You don't want to sit there and steady I'll, your. I like half ass aim, and I just light the shit up. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Versus, I, you, I light up. Yeah. Don't make if you hire me as a carpenter. It's I can build a big entertainment center. It just won't be perfectly square. It doesn't need to be. <laughs> That's the entertainment. Yeah. Wobbles when you work. Um, but nonetheless, like we sold our house. Now, like we're not super sad. We knew we weren't staying there forever. We had a five-year time frame, which is about what it was at. We're at four years. Um, but we put a lot of time and effort because it was a crappy house when we bought it because if you're buying your first home, I think you should buy a house that's beat up so you yes. can get some equity in it. Um, we sold it for... Close to the max price and where we live at in Germantown, close to it, but not all the way, obviously, because we didn't finish everything we wanted to. If we ever get super famous, make sure yeah. you plug your current address so people know where to make sure. <laughs> I don't know if I want to. I can't put that out there. Well, are you betting on us being super famous? We're going to be uber famous and uber rich. So what's your address? I can't tell you. But uh, either ways, we put a lot of effort into it. You know, I had our first kid there. And then obviously, yeah, we're a little sad to leave, but... You know, the next house rise is going to be our 20, 30 year home. So, but I, I can get with it because we ended that chapter in our life. We opened up the next one. So, I think that's kind of what I tell people when I want to start telling them is like, I'm here to help you in the next chapter of your life. What makes me unique is I understand that no matter how long or short this chapter is, I'm here to help you. You need to create an elevator pitch though, because if you tell somebody, the, the only the reason I love, if you would have told me I'm here to help the next chapter of your life, right? That right. sounds like a cliche. No, not at all. When you say it just like that, but when you sat there and explained it and went through it and kind of paint that story to somebody, they buy in instantly. Like the fact that you talk about it, I think if you just say, yeah, I'm here to help you with the next chapter of your life. Right. No, I, I will I will go through it with them. Yes. Don't just say I'm here to help with the next chapter of life here, and everything I touch here, turns to sold. Here's what every John and Julia in the industry says. They're like, Oh, I just love helping first-time home buyers finding that perfect home. There is no first, there is no perfect home for first-time home buyers. They're buying what they can afford. Yes. Their perfect home is for the guy who's custom building his house. That's his perfect home because yeah. he's spending half a mil or more into it. That's his perfect home. That's his per that's his dream home. That's the house that he envisioned right. while he was in his first home. First-time home buyer, 
does not want a house in Germantown where there's no flooring. Uh, everything needs paint. There's holes in the wall. The doors are outdated. All the bat, the one guest bathroom you did not use for an entire year doesn't work. You don't, while your husband's deployed, there's no dishwasher. You have a giant sink that breaks every single dish that touches the side. That is not a perfect home. Is that your situation? That is my situation. Yeah. So there's no perfect home. So point being is, yeah, you're helping everyone in the next chapter. And I think it's, I was, I was like, okay, that's it. I was that's like, it. that's my unique selling proposition or value proposition is, yes, anyone can help you find quote unquote the perfect home. And I'll tell them there's not when you're first time home buying, unless you have a really rich mom and dad, there's not a perfect home. It's not meant to be. It's, it's a five to seven year turnaround time. Your, your first car is not supposed to be the car that you've dreamt of. Right. You're, no one's buying a Lamborghini the first car unless you're that kid who steals his mom's car and $5 going driving to go buy a Lamborghini. Did you hear about that? What? Yeah, he's five years old and this kid's like five, five, 300 pounds. Monster. They didn't believe he's five years old. He had like three bucks in his wallet. And he got mad that his mom said he couldn't buy a Lamborghini. She went to work. Sister fell asleep. He stole the car and was driving down the interstate. Good for him. Motivated. I would, right. hire, I would hire him. Yeah. He wants the kid wants a Lamborghini. You work for me in two years, you have a Lamborghini. Yeah. At least a payment's on one. You think you got Lamborghini money in two years? I think in this world and what people are lending on, everyone has Lamborghini money. Everybody's got Lamborghini <laughs> money. You can, you can buy a car that's $100,000 easier than you can buy a $100,000 house. Oh, yeah. That is what's ridiculous in this world. Yeah. But, you know, just like this episode, we'll end this chapter. We'll start a new one. That was pretty good, Ben. That was good. That follow, was a, follow us on the Instagram, Ben McIntyre Bolton. Trent underscore Bargy. But we will have a Real Pursuit Instagram. Make sure you download, subscribe, um, check five, us out, and share it. Five-star review. Yeah, give us a review if you think it's five stars. If it's three stars, I don't give a shit. Let us know. We'll change it. We'll send, fix it. Send gifts to our <laughs> office. We're both having kids, so we like alcohol. <laughs> <laughs>